As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Good Risings, I'm Jackie. And I'm Brian. And this is Grateful Grains. Today is our week on well-rounded health. We're kicking it off with diet. We spent the entire week last week exploring the ins and outs of nutrition. But when it comes to well-rounded health, we'd be missing a major piece of the puzzle if we left it out. We'll quickly recap last week's highlights on nutrition, but we're also going to take the opportunity to have a conversation about intermittent fasting as well as hydration. Right, all things healthy diet. So as you may recall, we talked macronutrients and micronutrients last week, protein, fat, and carbohydrates being macro, vitamins and minerals being micro. We confronted the villainization of red meat and saturated fat, both of which are at home in a healthy diet. Above all, the most common and all-encompassing advice coming from dietary experts is switching to a diet of whole foods, cooking with whole ingredients, and not shying away from proteins or healthy fats, polyunsaturated, monounsaturated, and the health-neutral saturated fat. We avoided trans fats, added sugars, refined carbs, and all processed foods. Changing our diet might mean changing our relationship with mealtimes. For example, we can make dinner a time we enjoy by creating a nightly ritual around it, gathering, listening to music, reflecting on what's past and what's to come. Again, if we just don't have the time or if we know there are going to be nights where cooking can't be a priority, we meal prep. We cook when we have the time and we reheat food throughout the week. As always, we recommend speaking with a functional health specialist or a holistic practitioner about the ins and outs of individual diets. But as a general rule of thumb, non-starchy vegetables should be the foundation, making up 70% of our plate. One serving of whole grains like legumes, black beans, quinoa, or black or brown rice, and then protein. Remember, animal proteins are complete proteins, meaning they have all the essential amino acids, which our bodies don't make on their own. Finally, when it comes to general supplementation, Dr. Mark Hyman explains, even with a perfect diet, the combination of many things, including depleted soils, the storage and transportation of our foods, genetic alterations of traditional heirloom species, and the increased stress and nutritional demands resulting from a toxic environment make it impossible for us to get the vitamins and minerals that we need solely from the foods that we eat. He continues that doctors used to think that we got all our vitamins and minerals from food, 
any extra nutrients were excreted or worse, they became toxic. But the tide is shifting. Emerging scientific evidence shows the importance of nutrients as essential helpers in our biochemistry and metabolism. They are the oil that greases the wheels of our metabolism. His top recommendations for supplementation are omega-3 fatty acids, B vitamins, D3, magnesium, and probiotics. We can also supplement with a specific purpose in mind, like boosting our immunity with things like zinc and liposomal vitamin C, or with biotin for skin, hair, and nails. But that's a much more detailed conversation and really fluctuates by individual goals. Now let's talk hydration. Healthline explains that water does so much more than quench our thirst. It regulates our body temperature, lubricates joints, aids in digestion and nutrient absorption, and detoxifies our system by removing waste products. Our body's cells have to continuously repair to function optimally and break down nutrients for our body to use as energy. But these processes release waste in the form of urea and carbon dioxide, which cause harm if allowed to build up in our blood. Water transports these waste products, efficiently removing them through urination, breathing, or sweating. So staying properly hydrated is key. Drinking three liters a day is a good rule of thumb, though it does vary based on activity level and weight. An active male is likely to need closer to four liters a day. And remember, the quality of water matters. We find all kinds of unusual things in tap water. Plastic bottles are often full of BPA and exposed to excessive heat in shipping containers and storage facilities. You want to be using a filter, even if it's just a Brita. But if the option is available, we highly recommend a reverse osmosis water filtration system. This will clear tap water of everything and anything. Once it's filtered, it is important to reintroduce minerals like magnesium, chloride, sodium, and sulfate, which are key components of our body's ability to remain hydrated. Finally, we have intermittent fasting. It's a concept that's really started to break into the more mainstream conversations about health. It's the idea that by limiting the number of hours per day that we allow ourselves to eat, we're giving our systems the opportunity to rest, repair, and regenerate. And if you think about it, this type of eating is really how we evolved as a species, as hunter-gatherers. Generally, people who fast daily set a window of between 6 and 10 hours of their day where they allow themselves to eat, which means they're fasting between 14 and 18 hours a day. So if we eat our final meal for dinner at 6 p.m. and we're breaking our fast with breakfast or breakfast at 8 a.m., that means that we've fasted for 14 hours. And I think that's really an achievable goal for anyone. The more narrow windows of time, like only eating between six and eight hours per day, probably aren't a great idea if we're already thin or pregnant or if we're dealing with an eating disorder or if we suffer from chronic fatigue. Let's talk about some of the benefits. First of all, intermittent fasting has been proven to reduce inflammation. Dr. Mark Hyman states that inflammation is the common thread in nearly all modern diseases, depression, cancer, heart disease, diabetes, dementia, allergies, asthma, chronic fatigue, and autoimmune disease. They're all inflammatory diseases. Fasting has also been proven to reduce oxidative stress and repair and regenerate mitochondria, the power generators of our cells. 
It also enhances autophagy, which is our body's way of cleaning out damaged cells in order to regenerate newer, healthier cells. And as an added bonus, fasting is also proven to improve cognitive function and increase lean muscle mass. I think, logically, it's just giving our bodies a break. We're not loading it up with more to do and more to digest. We're talking stimulation. Indeed, we're talking both mental and physical stimulation. Stimulation is the antithesis of stagnation. Mentally, we're looking at novel experiences and adventure. Physically, we're talking movement and exercise. And as you may know, the two are inextricably tied. First and foremost, we have to understand that stimulation is a primary factor in longevity. Stagnation leads to degradation. Stimulation leads to plasticity physically, neurologically, and psychologically speaking. Physical and mental stimulation are key components of every aspect of health, including overall hardiness and state of mind. It's also proven to stave off neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and dementia. Let's start with the conversation about adventure as a mindset, because that's really where it begins. Perspective is everything. Adventure is embracing the unknown with enthusiasm. We don't have to travel across the world to be mentally stimulated, to find novel experiences, to find ourselves in new environments or around new people. Right, there's a degree of stimulation in simply perceiving the world at large as a well of opportunity. It's taking this small amount of time we've been given and opening up to all there is, all there could be. It's difficult to dwell too long in sadness or loneliness or frustration when we live in that adventure mindset because we're really aware of how quickly things can change. We're aware of the power in every passing stranger and every unexplored place. The act of adventure is simply setting out to experience that which we've yet to experience. Our brains operate differently when we're in unfamiliar places. We're more alert. We're more engaged with our surroundings. We're pushing those boundaries and getting more comfortable with discomfort. We're growing. Human behavioral scientist John Levy has spent his career studying the science of adventure. He explains that people would tell him the beauty of adventure is that it happens by chance, that it's completely unpredictable. But if that were true, if it was just random, all of us would live similarly exciting lives, and we don't, which means there has to be a method to the madness. That method is risk. Some people are thrill seekers, and some, for many varying reasons, live their lives in the same town and the same relationships, going to the same places and doing all the same things. Constraints in life provide safety and security, but they detract from our ability to adapt to new environments. They stifle our growth and smother our potential. Again, it's the difference between stimulation and stagnation. We have to set out to experience the unexperienced. It is an active choice, and the more unaccustomed to change, the more risk-averse, the more difficult it is to step out on that limb. The older we get, the more set in our ways, the more difficult it becomes. We can start by doing little things, like spending our lunch break at a different spot every day, even if it's just walking in a different direction. We go to different restaurants, We seek out those local events like open mic nights. We join an adult recreational league of some sort. If it serves you, find a volunteer program where you can lend a helping hand for a few hours. Try digging through the local newspaper and find an event that interests you. 
If you're a business owner, consider becoming a member of your local chamber of commerce and go to the mixers. Whatever it is, the goal is to get ourselves out there where we're just a little bit uncomfortable because that discomfort is stimulation and that's where the growth begins. We are incredibly adaptable creatures. With a little effort, we can change anything. If adventure is unfamiliar territory, challenge yourself with one adventurous experience per week. As you begin to settle in, as you begin to notice the benefits of these weekly excursions, as you begin to notice yourself opening up and changing, you'll begin to crave that kind of adventure. You'll want more of it in your life. And as for physical stimulation, we want to be active every single day. There's not a system in the body that doesn't benefit from exercise. But beyond the immediate health benefits, it's also about maintaining mobility later in life. Remaining active allows us to continue being active as we age. It allows us to continue experiencing life at our fullest potential. We cultivate and maintain mobility by strengthening our muscles in their full range of motion. It's so easy to Google how to increase mobility and find not only answers, but how-to videos demonstrating simple exercises that can be done in our homes. And if you happen to be physically impaired or need to start with small movements, being specific with a few extra words in that Google search bar will likely result in videos that suit your needs. Strength training is ideal. We should be lifting weights three to four days a week. On the days we're not lifting, we can be walking, we can be practicing yoga or indoor cycling, really any sustained physical exertion. Just remember, stimulation is the antithesis of stagnation. Stagnation leads to degradation and stimulation leads to longevity. We're getting into peace of mind. We know more now than ever about the connection between our state of mind and our physical health. It's not difficult to understand why, considering that the stress hormone cortisol wreaks havoc on our bodies. When we engage in trauma cycles, we experience much of the world at large as a threat. We exist in a state of fear or panic or anxiety, and we remain disconnected. When it comes to peace of mind, the answer comes in three, awareness, gratitude, and compassion. It all begins with awareness. When an autopilot, our minds convince us of all sorts of things. It perceives threats that aren't actually threats. It makes judgments on our behalf. It criticizes us. It criticizes others. It overanalyzes moments past and moments to come. And it's all in an effort to protect us from pain, from heartbreak, from everything it perceives to be a danger because of what happened to us in the past. Awareness is stealing back presence from that autopilot. Remember, our brains love habit and habitual responses because it stops us from having to do the extra work of critical thinking. But that keeps us stuck stagnant. It stops us from hearing, learning, adapting, changing, and growing. Awareness is creating space between our thoughts and the present moment in order to allow ourselves time to properly digest information. And that information can be anything. It can be the thoughts unfolding in our minds. It can be news we've just heard. It can be an advertisement or a political message. Awareness is simply pausing the habitual response so that we can inject the moment with presence and present analyses. For example, if we find ourselves ruminating over some negative event from our past, we can use deep breath and or grounding and or observation to place ourselves in the current moment 
From there, we can perceive that automatic behavior unfolding in our minds and recognize what it's doing. It's trying to protect us by reminding us of the danger that event presented to our well-being. It's trying to make sure we don't put ourselves in that situation again because it perceives it to be harmful. Habitual fear, stress, and anxiety are often the result of unhalted thoughts repeating on autopilot. With presence, we can apply logic to those thoughts. We can examine whether that experience was truly life-threatening. We can examine the likelihood that such an event might happen again. We can consider whether or not another event of this type would truly be the catastrophe our automatic minds present. And we can begin to breathe through those feelings of discomfort along the way. We're taking power away from those loops by bringing them squarely into focus. No matter what the thought, the regret, the fear, the anxiety, we confront it head on. Another powerful tool is gratitude. We find gratitude in the experience. We get detailed about how that event changed us. We remember what we learned. We focus specifically on the good that came from that perceived setback. At the very least, we can find gratitude in what we learned about ourselves. Awareness introduces presence and cultivates growth. Gratitude begets optimism. As a reminder, optimism plays a significant role in our ability to stick to goals, take bigger risks, which lead to bigger rewards, and it generally increases our day-to-day happiness, whereas pessimism does the opposite on all fronts. And like we've experienced before, the trick of confirmation bias will use daily patterns of gratitude to point out the fact that we are grateful often. Our minds are then more likely to notice situations where we should be grateful. Thus, we'll have reasons to be grateful more often, and we'll begin to see ourselves as lucky people who lots of good happens to. When the bad comes along, we're more likely to see it as a hiccup rather than our everyday norm. We're literally hacking our mind's desire for habitual processes and setting focus on the positive. It's all about where we're focusing our attention. At first, it may feel forced, but as you practice it, it becomes more and more natural. We're moving gratitude from state to trait, meaning we're taking the state of mind and practicing it so much that it becomes an innate trait in our personality. That's the end goal. So how do we do it? Well, first and foremost, the obvious one, we start a gratitude journal. Take 10 minutes every day to think about things you're grateful for. It doesn't have to be something that happened that day. It can be something that happened when you were a child. It can be something difficult you made it through. It can be about someone who's no longer in your life. It can be anything so long as you are genuinely working to experience the feeling of gratefulness. The next trick is similar, but it doesn't involve writing. Reflect. Reflect on the day. During this period of time, you may take notes of your progress in any given goal. You may consider whatever needs to be done on the following day. You may ruminate over any given happening. Whatever you do, exercise your optimism muscle by doing your best to find ways to be grateful for any given thing that pops up. Finally, we have compassion. We might wield the tool of compassion in all places where gratitude doesn't seem to work. This is often in situations we don't fully understand, in behaviors in ourselves and others that we can't just wrap our minds around. We remind ourselves that our lived experience impacts all aspects of our life. We avoid criticism and we turn to compassion, the acknowledgement of one's struggle. Compassion is acceptance in the absence of understanding.
we're talking recovery. So many people today push themselves to the brink of collapse, working 80-hour work weeks, no days off, raising children and packing their social calendars. Rest and relaxation are lost arts, and they're a central part of our ability to perform. Stressed, overwhelmed, or overburdened minds and bodies are prone to burnout, recklessness, and injury. Still, we do everything we can to meet the needs and expectations of everyone and everything around us, even if it's at our own expense. We've discussed the issue of stress at length here on Grateful Grains, but as a quick refresher, the National Institute of Mental Health reports that 43% of adults suffer adverse health effects from stress, and 75 to 90% of all doctor visits are for stress-related ailments. Stress can affect body weight, testosterone levels, and lower sexual desire. It could cause headaches, and it could cause serious digestion issues. Stress hormones increase heart rate and constrict blood vessels, increasing blood pressure. It's often a contributing factor in diabetes, arthritis, asthma, depression, and anxiety. Stress devastates the immune system. It contributes significantly to premature aging, which is partially attributed to stress's effect on the chromosomes called telomeres. Stress prevents cellular regeneration, which leads to wrinkles, weak muscles, poor eyesight, and so on. By the way, that's just the highlights. So aside from cultivating habits that cause peace of mind like those we discussed yesterday, awareness, gratitude, and compassion, we have to learn how to actively relax. The key word here is active. We are not actively relaxing when we switch to autopilot and sit in front of a television or play video games. Right. Those are forms of entertainment. And sure, they have a place in life. If we're excited about a new show or film that's coming out, a new video game we want to play, by all means, go see it, go watch it, go play it. What we have to be careful of is plopping down on the couch and flipping to whatever seems entertaining at the moment. That's when entertainment becomes a crutch or an addiction, a lazy pastime for lack of better options. It's unhealthy for a number of reasons. One being that blue light, especially later in the evening, can disrupt sleep, as can sensory overload from action, flashing lights and quick cuts, The very same thing goes for cell phone scrolling. Dr. Lindsay Bira, a licensed clinical health psychologist, explains that there are different needs that our body has. When we look at watching TV, surfing the internet, or looking at our phones, we are not necessarily working with our nervous system to condition our body to feel better. Innis Integrative Body-Mind Therapy summarizes the practice well. Stimulating the vagus nerve stimulates the parasympathetic nervous system which in turn reduces our neurophysiological experience of stress. It reduces our heart rate and blood pressure. It influences the limbic system in our brain, where emotions are processed. It stimulates digestion and creates an increased feeling of well-being. Engaging our vagus nerve through active relaxation is well proven to relieve anxiety, depression, tension, and the general sense of unease when stress builds up. So some methods of active relaxation are slow, rhythmic, diaphragmatic breathing, cold showers or baths, yoga, spending time in nature, especially when practicing intentional awe, which is simply seeking out the feeling of awe by observing our surroundings, prayer, engaging in positive thinking about other people, engaging in positive social relationships, laughing out loud, and massages, Even gently massaging around the carotid sinus located on the sides of our neck can stimulate the vagus nerve. 
We start this practice by setting aside as much time as we can afford, daily if possible, to explore different paths to active relaxation. As we become more acquainted with the practice of active relaxation, we learn to tune into our central nervous system, or vagal nerve, in times of sudden stress randomly throughout our days. That in and of itself becomes part of the practice. It becomes easier and easier to find peace in chaos. And in today's world, that's a skill worth working for. We're wrapping our conversation on recovery up with quality sleep. There's endless research on the topic. Poor sleep has immediate effects on our hormonal balance. It diminishes our cognitive function, our ability to be creative, to solve problems, or to make decisions. It can cause weight gain, and it can increase the risk of disease in both adults and children. It also wreaks havoc on our immune system. Exactly. So first and foremost, daily fitness helps us not only fall asleep faster, but also helps us sleep throughout the night. That includes patients who suffer from diagnosed insomnia. As for nutrition, we want to avoid any stimulants later in the day, and we want to avoid eating or drinking within about three hours of bedtime. To encourage sleep, generally we're looking at foods and supplements that initiate or enhance relaxation. This means we're decreasing stress and anxiety by regulating cortisol. Magnesium glycinate binds to gamma aminobutyric acid receptors, which are responsible for quieting down nerve activity. It regulates neurotransmitters, which sends signals throughout the nervous system and brain. It activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which is responsible for our sense of calm and relaxation. It also regulates our naturally occurring sleep hormone, melatonin. Besides magnesium glycinate, there's L-theanine, which is an amino acid found in tea leaves. A mixture of ginseng, ashwagandha, rhodiola, and valerian works wonders. You can get those in powder form and brew it up as a nighttime tea. Next, a well-practiced routine will help our body understand bedtime. At the most basic level, we have to start re-engaging with the sun. As it stands, we wake up in the morning, hold our phones less than a foot away from our faces, and blast blue light into our eyes. We spend our days in office buildings staring at computer screens. We spend our nights in front of the television. And finally, we end our evenings with another dose of that cell phone shine. That blue light suppresses the secretion of melatonin, the hormone which triggers sleep. Instead, we have to wake and spend time in the sun when possible. Once the sun sets, we allow our bodies to relax without that artificial blue light from televisions or devices. And finally, We know how to get clear-minded and comfortable. Dark room, whatever pillows, whatever blankets, whatever creates an environment conducive with relaxation. We're digging in on connectedness. When it comes to well-rounded health, connectedness comes in two parts, community and purpose. It's all about being and feeling a part of society. It's about knowing, using, and being appreciated for your skills and talents, being additive. These aspects of life fulfill our need for safety and bonding while also staving off loneliness, which is absolutely devastating both physiologically and when it comes to our emotional well-being. In fact, the Harvard Aging Brain Study found that loneliness is indicative of Alzheimer's as the degree of loneliness reported correlated with a higher degree of amyloid plaque present in the brain, which is a major pathological sign for Alzheimer's. It's not just Alzheimer's, by the way. Loneliness and a sense of purposelessness can lead to increased stress, 
degrade our immune system, our digestive system, lead to weight gain, poor heart health, and obviously leads to depression. According to the CDC, loneliness led to a four times increase in likelihood of death in heart failure patients, a 68% increase in risk of hospitalization, and a 57% increase in emergency room visits. When people identify a fulfilling life, it's rarely financial success. It's often memories, the good times with friends, the lifelong bonds, experiencing what the world has to offer with someone who you can also recount those times with. These bonds are marked by oxytocin, which is the hormone associated with love and close connection. This hormone is boosted primarily through physical touch and closeness with others. Hugs, cuddling, even quality time can significantly increase our oxytocin levels. There are all kinds of ways we can engage with our communities. We can start by paying it forward with random acts of kindness, buy from local businesses, stop to talk to passers-by, join local groups or clubs, volunteer, become active in the local school system, host or organize local gatherings, and spend more time outside. If we feel we're lacking in a tighter community or a friend group, getting out there and being a part of that greater community is a fantastic way to start to build those closer bonds. We can also explore the local culture, the restaurants, the live music, the hiking groups, the sporting groups, and the church groups. This opens the door to purpose as well. When we become a part of a community, both on a larger scale and in a tighter friend group, we innately begin to discover what we have to offer. Really honing in on those traits or skills can help us sort out why we matter to the people we care about. And we hope they recognize that as well. Finding our purpose again can take a bit of work, or maybe our purpose is very clear. It just takes some articulation. Even if we know our purpose, it's so beneficial to wake up remembering it. Dan Buettner in his book, The Blue Zone, states that people who can quickly answer this question about their life purpose are known to live eight years longer on average. People in the regions of the world known as blue zones tend to focus more on family and friendships. Their life purpose is rarely about financial success. Thus, their lives are less likely to be filled with stress that comes with financial struggles. A study funded by the National Institute of Health that examined the connection between having a sense of purpose and the longevity of their life found that individuals who expressed a clear goal in life lived longer and were sharper than those who did not. In essence, people who know their life purpose live longer and live better. Studies also show if you're feeling lost about your purpose, giving back is a fantastic place to start. Right. It's a surefire way to create purpose, and it doesn't have to cost you any money. A 1999 study led by Doug Oman of the University of California, Berkeley, found that elderly people who volunteered for two or more organizations were 44% less likely to die over a five-year period than were non-volunteers, even after controlling for their age, exercise habits, general health, and negative health habits like smoking. Giving back is linked to the same neurotransmitters as creating relational bonds. That's oxytocin. Every day we have so many opportunities to be kind and loving towards others. By the way, studies show that people who benefit from the kindness of others are more likely to be similarly generous within the next two hours. Our acts of kindness ripple throughout our world. It's literally proven that our love and kindness are passed on.
Remember, if you'd like to continue the conversation, we welcome you to reach out through Instagram at Good Risings, or you can find me at B. McMuffin. And you can find me at Jacqueline M. Wood underscore one. We hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, remember, a better tomorrow starts with today. Good Risings is presented by Cavalry Audio.